Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. Amen and amen. You may be seated. God bless you. If you have your copy of God's Word today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish today our series on prayer. We started it the 1st of January just talking about how we enter into this year, not with a resolution, but with a revolution where we literally overthrow our way of life and concentrate and really assert ourselves in some level of intentionality of prayer. That it's prayer that changes lives. It's prayer that sets us in a place where we're blessable. You know, we talk a lot about God being a, a good God, and He most certainly is, but we want to be blessable. We have to set ourselves up for that. In order to be blessable, I think the number one conduit, if you will, the medium by which we connect with God is through that of prayer. I believe it also to be one of the most misunderstood aspects of our Christian faith because I think we, we have been taught, I mean erroneously, that we have to pray a certain way. I mean, we don't, no one maybe told us that, but if you look at most people's prayer life, it's either non-existent or haphazard at best. And if you ask someone to pray, and if I were to survey this crowd, and I'm not going to do that today, but if I were to survey this crowd and say, how many of you are absolutely terrified of prayer? If I were to call on you and say, come down front and and pray, that that you would literally freeze. And in fact, that's true for a lot of us. doesn't matter if you're an extrovert. It doesn't matter if you're a great Christian. It doesn't matter if you have knowledge of the Word of God. But something about praying out loud is just literally a trembling fearful moment for you. But I, wanted, I want you to understand today that maybe the eloquence of our words is what we need to deny in our own life. We need to realize that it's not how we sound. It's not the words. It's not the repetition. In fact, in Matthew 6, the first few verses, he spends all this time, Jesus speaking, dealing with the hypocritical aspect of, of religion and, and prayer. And he tells the, the Pharisees of the day, which were a self-righteous people, and we see that a lot even in churches across the globe today, that, you know, you have to be like this. You have to dress this way. You have to act this way. You have to walk this way. And, and heaven forbid, if you worship and, and, and you do something outside the confines of a traditional standpoint, then, then you're not really connecting with God. Maybe that's where we have failed. That the reality is, is God just wants us to come as we are. You know, the beauty and, and, our, and a child, think about our, our children, for example. How when our babies come to us and we tell them to say their ABCs, and they, I mean, they jack that thing all up as a child. A, B, C, F, G, Z, A. And then they look at you like they want you to applaud. And we go, that was great. And you're thinking, man, that really was terrible. Or one, two, three, four, seven, ten, hundred. You know, and you're like, wow, they counted to a hundred. You know, do you know that God is so adored with you? He's enamored with you. That when you pray and you just say, God, I I don't really know what to say, but God, you're holy. God, you're worthy. God, I need your touch. God, give me wisdom. And you don't have this long, three-and-a-half-minute, beautiful, word-by-word collection of of just wonderful, wonderful sentences that might mesmerize the people listening. And God's going, that's awesome. That we just need to realize that it's not about what, what I say and you hear. It's what's in the posture of my heart when I do pray. That I go to God and go, God, I got nothing. Do you know some of the most beautiful prayers are one-liners? God, I got nothing. He goes, good, because I got everything. Or what about this one? God, I'm a failure. Great, because I in you can do all things. You need to diminish. You need to fail. You need to realize that you need to be broken before I can mend you back. You need to be empty before I can fill you up. 
In fact, the reality of all the prayers that we could pray, we really could come down to this one irreducible place where Jesus himself is speaking. In fact, if you look into the Word of God, Old and New Testament, 39 books of the Old, 27 in the New, and look at the four Gospels, look at the book of Acts, look at Paul's epistles, you realize that when Jesus speaks and gives an order to something, that we need to grab onto that with both hands and realize that that's the way we need to do life, the way we need to do church, the way we need to do marriage, the way we need to do finances. Jesus has ordained that and he's spoken that to us in very clear elementary yet profound terms that's why Matthew 6 beginning in verse 9 is so profound because a lot of us to stand here today and be honest we would say I don't know how to pray you know that's what the disciples said because all they had seen was what they had seen in men and Pharisee and, and religious crowd and Jesus says this he said pray in this manner our father which art in heaven hallowed or holy be thy name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, not on earth, but in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not, watch this, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I love the closing part of this petition, this dangerous declaration. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Watch this. For thine is the kingdom, because that's where we started. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom and the power. And watch this. This is where it all falls into place. And the glory is yours forever and ever and ever. Amen. That all God really wants is your availability. He wants your weakness. He told the Apostle Paul, writer of nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, look, I don't need to remove this thorn in your flesh. What I need you to know is when you're weak, then your strength is made perfect to men. That my grace is sufficient. You know what that means? It's all you need every single day and all aspects of your life. His grace is sufficient. Let's pray today as we get into this sermon. Father, we love you today. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to be hearers of the word today. That not only I would speak the word of truth today and rightly divide your word, but that God truly your kingdom would come and inhabit this place. The rule and the reign of a sovereign, redeeming God. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give you six petitions. It starts, of course, with a declaration. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name. Notice that I said this a few weeks ago. When you say our Father, literally blows all of the paradigms out of the water of what the people in that day would have thought. Because prior to that, they had to go before a holy God in a cowardly fashion because he was holy and we were not. They couldn't even call his name. Yet Jesus exploded that paradigm of an untouchable, unreachable, unknowing God to a place of now say, my Father. He's saying, Daddy. And you as parents and grandparents know as well as I do that when your kid or your grandchild comes to you and says, Mama, Daddy, that term of infection invokes all that you have to give that child. Everything that you are, you want to protect, you want to bless. You know, the Bible says that he wants to bless you exceedingly abundantly above that which you can think or ask or imagine. And watch this. Do you know how much you want to do for your children? God wants to explode the idea of how much you want to do for yours. Think about how much you love yours. He wants to explode the idea of how much you think you love your child. He loves you so so much more that he gave his only son that you and I may have life. 
And watch this. And here's the cool part. That when we invoke that power by saying our Father, not just God in the cosmos, not just God in heaven, not just God in the church house, but God in me. When I say our Father, it literally tells all of the demons in hell that are listening that I have a Father-Son relationship. If I may say it this way, it allows me to step into the sonship power of realizing that I'm not just some disconnected, disenfranchised, sinful, broken, undone person, but that when I say our Father, the whole demons in hell tremble because they realize that I've called on the one who created it all and he's my daddy three claps praise God I'm preaching hard y'all gotta clap better there you go I'm gonna preach it whether you listen or not but here's what I believe to be true The first petition, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, if you're taking notes, is the first petition. When the kingdom comes into my personal view, everything in my life shifts. Here's how. I go from wanting to come to church to see my friends to wanting to see my friends come to church and more or less come to Christ. Listen, my my, my paradigm shifts. I want to quit arguing and debating with my wife or, or much less that, the pastor, or really the big picture is I don't want to debate with God anymore about this argumentative aspect. You really mean that i got to give 10%? No, I really mean that you need to give 100% of everything you are. So watch this. My prayer life changes when kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is on heaven. I quit arguing about giving them my tithe and offering and start praying about how I can do more, how I can give more, how I can be a better better blessing. I stop arguing about my spouse and I start thanking God that out of 6.2 billion people on planet earth, he chose her, he chose him for me. And that is the one I'm going to be with till death do us part. See, everything shifts. Wednesday ceases to be hump day. And becomes the day of Bible study, the day that I break into the Word of God. It becomes the day of youth ministry. It becomes the day where I anticipate that feeding middle way through the week. To realize that come Monday or Tuesday, I'm already failing him miserably. But Wednesday's coming. And guess what after that? Guess what's coming after that? Sunday's on the way. See, our whole paradigm shifts. You stop just dragging yourself to church in the drudgery of church attendance. And you start getting excited about coming into the house of God. With excitement and with zeal and with hope. And watch this, with expectancy. The reality is, is that we're better together when the kingdom come and the will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because that's the rulership and the sovereignty of God coming into our world. Secondly, give us this day our daily bread as I shared with you last week. It's not a petition of poverty. He's not saying, God, just help me get by with a little morsel of bread. Oh, no, no, no. This is speaking about a much bigger aspect of bread. It's speaking of the bread of life. His name is Jesus. It's literally saying, God, help me daily to feast on your word, to feast on your presence, to feast on your hope, to feast on your mandate, to feast on everything you are daily, God, because I want to be like the children that were coming out of bondage. And I don't want to just be a murmurer. When I see the manna fall from heaven, I want to go get it. I want to eat it. I want to ingest it. I want it to be healthy. And I want it to be straight to my bones. I want it to be health to my marrow. I want to be everything you want me to do and here's how you can do it you've got to put down the the day in day out stuff cut the tv off get off facebook and get in the word of god daily listen those of you just come off the 21 day fast nobody had to remind you you were hungry nobody had to remind you you wanted a big old you know when we were on the fast um bluebell came back out with their ice cream i don't know if y'all saw that or not i believe that was the enemy after every one of us Nobody had to remind you this morning that you were hungry 
Or that when you guys are already sitting here about, about, you know, here probably now, and you're sitting there going, man, I can't wait to get to Peachtree. I'm going to tear up that chicken. Just learn how to feast on God the same way. You, can't, you shouldn't be able to spend five minutes without looking at him and, and saying, God, you're holy. God, you're worthy. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my marriage. And then number three today. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice the word as. Forgive us our debts. Some translations say sins. Some say trespasses. They're fine. Because debt is, is an inclination that we owe something. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. Every one of you work a job. And if you work a job, you expect at the end of that week a wage. The end of that bi-weekly paycheck or monthly paycheck, whatever it is. You deserve it. And if you didn't get that, you would, be, you would be frustrated. You would go into the boss and say, hey, I demand that I get what I deserve. God, you cannot go to a holy God that way because what you deserve is death. There's a man in our church who we, we begin to kind of connect and pray together. A lot of our lifestyle in the past, military and things like that, we just connected. And he began to share with me about his father. His father was in, in the hospital and, and wasn't doing good at all. In fact, I, I think if we're be real honest he was probably at death's door and in the conf, you know in the context of our conversation I said hey man can I can I go pray with him because he said he's not saved I've tried to share with him I've tried to talk with him I'm thinking man I got I got a, I got a burden for this guy and so a few days later we, we prayed about anyway I went to see him and not to get into the whole detail of all that that private moment but when but when I went in there something in him had already told him that I was coming I believe that was the Holy Spirit preparing his heart. And as I walked in, it, God just got all over me. And I thought, God, give me the words to speak. Give me the words to say. I don't want to push this man over the side here. I don't want to come at it in, in a cocky way that God will save you. I don't want to come at it in too kind of a way. I just want to come at it right in the sweet spot. The only way I can do that is if you're speaking through me, God. And I began to share who I was just to connect with him on a personal level. <clears throat> man started just sobbing. I talked a little bit more about Jesus, and he stopped me. He said, you know what? I'm getting everything I deserve. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm getting death. Dying without Christ. I, I don't deserve it. I said, sir, you could not have spoken the gospel any clearer than what you just did. See, the people that scare me is the ones that I connect with, and they go, I deserve it. What I'm getting in my life, it's not fair that God's doing No, no, no. If you get what you're deserving, you get death. Part B of Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life. So I went at him this way. I said, hey, let, let's, let's just talk real for a moment. I said, what, what if you owed a debt? <clears throat> I didn't know his financial status. I said, but what if you owed a debt? And somebody that you didn't even know, you had never helped, you had never done anything for, just went up to the bank and said, hey, I want to settle that account. Here's how much does he owe. Paid in full. And they send you a, a, a receipt, paid in full. And he kind of perked up, obviously had some business sense. He said, that'd be a pretty good deal. So that's what Jesus did for you. You owed a debt that you couldn't pay, and he paid a debt that he didn't owe. And he changed your life. But all you got to do, sir, is accept it. That day he prayed and asked Jesus into his heart. He became a child of the Most High God. You see, we owed God everything, yet he canceled our debt. 
our sins, if you use the word and forgive us our sins as we forgive our, the, those who have sinned against me, we realize, watch this, that when we sin, though it may affect other people, that just like King David said, when Nathan the prophet went to him when he had sinned with Bathsheba, watch this, he didn't say, oh, I've sinned against Uriah, I've sinned against Bathsheba, I've sinned against the kingdom, though all of those people were affected, watch what he said, he fell to his knees and he said this, against you God and you alone have I sinned. When you and I sin, we sin against a holy God. And oh, by the way, it's the same one who sent his son to die for you, to cancel out your debt but he's canceled out the sin penalty of death hell and the grave that when I die watch this and I will one out of one of you in here will die it's appointed unto man wants to die and after this the judgment watch this when I die when my father passed away because he was a child of God not because he was a perfect man but when he died watch this the moment he closed his eyes this very millisecond later he opened his eyes in the presence of Jesus that's what it means to have your sin canceled. Oh, I love the last one. You know, we said this. This is how it usually goes. Forgive us our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. Trespassing is kind of the idea of going in a place that you have no business going. It's like walking on a property that doesn't belong to you. It's going somewhere without the person's permission. But watch this. We did that. We stepped over the line into sin. Trespass as a human, as a fleshly vessel, walking places, going places, saying things. We never had any business of going. But Jesus, and this is cool. I know what I'm going to say, so I'm already getting excited. But, but, but instead of Jesus looking at you saying, I'm going to incarcerate you for trespassing. I'm going to fine you for trespassing. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to put your name in the paper. He made you a joint heir with Jesus Christ. How would you like that deal? You see a big piece of land and you go, man, I'd love to hunt over there. You get your shotgun and your, your tennis shoes because you know if you poach it, you can't wear boots because you've got to run fast. Some of y'all hunters that know that, you know you've been poaching. But you get your gun, you get your vest, you have no permission from the owner. Think about this for a minute in real terms. You get your gun and you start walking off, you put up a beautiful stand overlooking this lake and this food plot, you plot, and you're poaching, you're trespassing. And that guy could come out there, he could shoot you in Georgia. He could do whatever he wants to, but anything else, he could put you in prison, he could fine you. But what, what would happen if that guy walked out there on the property, he goes, hey, what you doing? I'm just hunting. Who told you to come on the property? Nobody. Tell you what I'm going to do to you, buddy. We'll give you all the land. Have a good day. Man, you would be like, woo! But yet, you deserve death. <laughs> and Jesus stepped out of glory. And walked into your world and says, you went where you ought not go. You have been trespassing. You have been sinning. You owe a debt. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give it all to you. And we said, they go, well, that's really awesome that he got saved. Oh, no, no, no. That, you just gained everything. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He owns it all. And you're a joint heir with him. That's a good deal. Y'all give him praise in the house. He's worthy today. here's the reality when God forgives me there should be something inside of me that wants to forgive those who have hurt me man we could spend a whole month on this couldn't we why is it so important for us to forgive others because this is the only petition that Jesus offered a caveat in verse 13 he says here's the deal Forgive us our debts. Pray this way as, as we forgive our debtors. The word as means in the same manner. Because Ephesians 5.25 says it this way. You hear me say this all the time. Husbands, love your wives even as. 
Christ loved the church. Love your wives in the same manner, the same likeness as Christ has loved you, husbands. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husband as unto the Lord. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husband as in the same manner you submit yourself to the Lord. For the husband the head of the home, even Christ the head of the church. So the word as means a lot more than the, in, in the Greek language. It literally means, watch this, forgive our debtors in the same manner in which, watch this, we forgive others. And let me ask you this. What if the rule in which God forgave your sins was the same rule and the same measure by which you forgave people who have hurt you? Where would you be? And the caveat that he offers is in verse 13. If you cannot forgive those who have sinned against you, don't think your Father who is in heaven will forgive your sins. And we just blow that off and we say, oh, that's just a metaphor. Jesus is just kidding. You see that I almost missed the table. Somebody laughed. Not just wrong. Just saying. So what is he really saying? He's really saying exactly what he's saying. Because here's what I believe the word of God is teaching us there. If I'm redeemed by the blood of the lamb, if I am forgiven of all of my sin, if I have the power to walk in the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, then in me resides an ability to forgive the unforgivable, to love the unlovable, to show generosity to those who have hurt me. And there's no doubt in my mind, as I'm saying this, most of you are going, okay, point one through five, I'm good with. Point two, throw it out. Ain't happening. Not going to be able to forgive people that have hurt me that way or hurt my children or hurt my name. Seriously? You can have that dialogue when the person who was one of your best friends turns you over to be killed. And you get the death penalty because that friendship was broken and they literally betrayed you. See, that's what happened to Jesus. Yet he forgave even Judas. Hey, he forgave the, 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 the Roman soldiers who were piercing his hands and piercing his feet and cutting his side and pressing further the, the, the thorns on his head and mocking him. You know what he said? Just take them out. No, he didn't say that. Just send a storm and destroy them all. You know what he did? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the measure that you and I need to forgive. Why? Because then and only then is the truest of God's love flowing out of our life. Fourthly, real quick, lead us not into temptation. Verse 13a, and lead us not into temptation. I love this. Why? Because I believe that we have bought a lie of this, let your conscience be your guide. God, help us if we're allowing our conscience to guide us to anything. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Your heart is deceitfully wicked. We live in a Bible belt. And here's the problem we have in this area of, of, of Georgia, this area of America, is we think we have bought a bill of goods thinking, well, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I ride down the road and there's somebody over there with a flat tire. I'm going to pull over and help them change it. Bless God. That's, I'm a good guy. I'm good. That's what we believe. Let my conscience guide me. Let me tell you something. You let your conscience guide you, you will walk into a complete pit of destruction. Because your conscience is your seat of your emotion, which is your heart, the pit of everything that you do. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You got a cursing problem? It's not a problem with your tongue. It's a problem with your heart. You're thinking wrong. If you can't love people, it isn't because they hurt you. It's because you've yet to accept the fullness of the gospel for God so loved the world that he gave. And you cannot ever expect to be forgiven if you can't forgive people who have hurt you. And here's the reality. 
We discount it because we, oh, God will understand. His word says otherwise. What we really need is a new moral compass. That's where the word of God comes into play. God, my step. You know what the Bible says? That it's a, it's a watch this, it, it's a light beneath my feet. Here's what we want to do, and, and we all do it. We want to look down the way and say, God, what's it going to look like down here? What's my marriage going to look like in 20 years? Where are my kids going to school? Are they going to get a scholarship? And, and we want to just categorically go through all the questions we have in this life and say, God, show me what's going to happen. I don't want to have to work through this. I, wanna, I don't like the unknown. Let me tell you something. If God situates every aspect of your life, you have absolutely no reason to live by faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. How? From faith to faith. He is the author and the finisher of my faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I love this one. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the vehicle that allows you to be a child of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. See, the greatest level of our faith is when everything is falling apart. And we still look to Him and say, but I trust you. Lead us not into temptation has this aspect of if he's leading me, then I'm following him. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, you, you and I are just like sheep. We are. Sheep are, 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 are literally led out by the shepherd. They're protected by the shepherd. If you study the sheepfold, and the wall that they would construct or sticks or limbs that they would construct out in the field and they would bring all the sheep into the sheepfold and they would leave the door open. They didn't construct a door. Why? Because Jesus said in the Gospels, in the New Testament, he said, I am the door. If anybody comes into this sheepfold, he's coming by me. So the shepherd in the Old Testament, New Testament is still today, he would become the door. He would literally situate himself in between the two, the opening at the wall of the sheepfold where all the sheep were, and he would literally sleep there. Why? Because he's saying if a wolf or a bear wants to come in to get to my sheep, he's going through me. And that's what he does for you and I. He's the sheep. He is the shepherd. He is the door to our life, to our heart, to our soul. And when we say lead us not into temptation, then we're realizing that we are committing ourselves by that petition that we're going to follow him. As the band makes their way up here, I don't want y'all to pay attention to them because I, I really want y'all to get this last point here. Lead us not into temptation, but the number five. Petition is delivers from evil. The Greek word there is ruamai. Ruamai. Has a beautiful sound. Ruamai. You know, what, you know why it sounds so good? Because it literally means to rescue. Deliver us from evil. Rescue me. Pull me out. Deliver us from evil. And there's an implication that it's not just speaking of evil in this world. He's literally saying in this prayer, in this petition, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive those who have committed a debt against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the understood there is deliver us from the evil one. That there is a roaring lion. His name is Satan. And he is a devourer of life. He, is a, he wants to kill, steal, and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life. Because I have pulled you out of the lion's mouth. 
John 4, 4 says, there is greater, he, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. The enemy can't touch you unless God allows it for some reason. And watch this, for some purpose that's greater than you that goes way beyond your own ways. Delivers from evil says this. And watch this. Here's what we do. We ask this question. I hear it all the time. I know Pastor David does as well. Here's what we do. We as a child of God ask the question, how far can we get to the line of sin without crossing over? I can't tell you how many times I have people ask me that. Well, can I do this and still be a Christian? I mean, it's okay if I, if I do this. It's so, you know, we speak of moderation. We speak of, the, oh, God will understand if I do. You know, let me tell you something. What we're really doing, let's just take the spirituality out of it for a moment. We're literally tiptoeing up to the line of destruction and sin and death. And we're getting right here. Everything from here back represents fellowship with God and holiness and righteousness, salvation. We get right on and say, God, I love you with my whole heart, my soul, and my strength. And we balance on the edge. Everything over there represents death, being disconnected from God, being undone, being unholy, ultimately separated from God. And we stand. I mean, if I could even get closer, we just stand on the edge. I mean, some of us, our lives look like this in the spiritual. Whoa, whoa. Come on, God. Hook, hook a brother up. Bring me back. Okay. Thank you, Lord. I'll never do that again. Come on, God. Help me out. That's what you and I look like. Quit asking the question of how far you can get before you cross over into death and step way back away from it so the line becomes a dot. Get so far away from the edge that, watch this, if I fall, I still fall in a place of God's embrace. If I fall, I don't, have to, I don't have to get and climb out of that stinking pit. Because over here, I love this. I'm just going to be bold with you and tell you this. You know, if I'm a child of the Most High God and I am riding the fence and I fall over in, that doesn't separate me from the love of God and I'm still going to heaven. But I lose all of my effectiveness. I lose all of my joy. I lose all of the hope in this life to ever be any kind of impact for the glory of God. Because that's back here. You know, there was a poem that was written when I was in seminary. A professor shared this with me, and I saw this the other day. It's anonymous. I love it. Uh, I heard Christine Kane sharing this. And I want to share this with you because... I believe we have a duty to that Christian, that church member who's standing on the edge that when they fall in the pit, why are we the only ones that when they fall, we look at them and go, praying for you. Matter of fact, here's some things that we do. A man fell in a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down in that pit. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down in a pit. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in a pit. A Pharisee came by and said, only bad people fall into a pit. A newspaper reporter came by and wanted an exclusive story to you falling in the pit. A realist came by and said, that's a pit. A fundamentalist came by and said, you deserve the pit. Confucius came by and said, if you would have listened to me, you wouldn't have fallen in the pit. A scientist came by and calculated the necessary pressure to get out of the pit. 
A geologist told him that while you're in the pit, check out the new rock structure. A tax man came by and said, are you paying taxes on the pit? City inspector came by and said, did you have a permit to dig the pit? An evasive person came by and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A self-pitying person came by and said, you don't really know what it's like to fall in the pit. You ought to see my pit. An optimist said, things could get worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. And a charismatic came by and said, just confess you're not in the pit. And then Jesus came by, kneeling down, reaching out his hand, and pulled him out of the pit. Jesus said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, making himself of no reputation, who literally, being God, being equal with God, thought it something not to be desired, but he humbled himself to the point of the cross. Let that mind be in you. When you see somebody fall in the pit, don't just step over them and go, I'm praying for you. Get down there with them. Get down there in the pit with them and bring them out with them. Don't you dare just have apathy for them. Don't you just feel sorry for them. Have have empathy. Feel it with them because you've been in the pit too, haven't you? And bless God, if you don't protect your life and if you get away from the edge of that place, you will be in the pit again. And the hope is that when a brother or sister falls in a pit, that somebody comes along and kneels down and reaches out a hand and pulls you out of the pit. And then that last one, that last one, I love it. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and forever. Amen. That last petition is also a declaration. You're saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. Your glory be manifested through my life. When they sing, it's your glory. When he preaches, it's your glory. When I give, it's for your glory. When I reach out, it's for your glory. When I pull somebody up, it's for your glory. Forever and forever and forever and forever. Amen. It's all about you. It's always been about you. It started with you. It consists and hangs in place by you. And it's going back to you. Thirty-second prayer will reform and change your life. You don't have a good prayer life? Start today. Pray the Lord's prayer and invoke the power of God in your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you could say today, without anyone looking, I'm a child of the Most High God today? I know that I'm saved. I'm a child of the King. If I die right now, I'm going to heaven. Hold your hands up if you're certain, hundred percent certain, not just partially. Not I'm a hope so. Put your hands down. Some hands did not go up. What are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. This moment is the moment. This second is the second. You're not promised another millisecond on this earth. But right now you have an opportunity before you. A hope. The hope of glory. A very present help in a time of trouble. If you don't know him today and you're not sure, please, I implore you. Pray right now from your heart to God and invite Jesus to save you. Right here, right now. Pray something like this. God in heaven, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to save me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. 
Jesus, save me. If you prayed that prayer, according to the word of God, if you prayed it in faith, by the measure of his grace, you've been saved. Would you lift your hand? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed and you asked Jesus in your heart, lift your hand up real quickly. Hold it up high real quickly. God bless you, ma'am, and you, ma'am, anybody else. God bless you, sir, anyone else? Looking around. God bless you, little one, anyone else? Here's one for the rest of us. How many of you want to see the power of God invoked in your life, in your marriage, in your children, in in your workplace? How many of you want to see God literally change lives in and through you? If that's you, lift your hand up right now. Lift it up high. Lift it up high if you want to see it. If you don't, just keep your hand down. Here's what I want you to do. If you raise your hand, let's start today. Find one of these places down here. Find one of these guys, these ladies down here. Pray if you'd like to join our church. Everybody look this way. The doors of our church are open. We'd love to have you. We're not going to carry this time out. It's the time now. This is the moment now. Take advantage of it now. If your marriage is in trouble, husbands, grab your wife by the hand. Come down here and give it to Jesus. Wives, if he won't do it, you do it. Bring him down here. If your children are running from God, grab your child and come down here and say, we're praying. We're believing God today. If you just want to see God move in your life, you come today. Just ask somebody, say, excuse me. If you're in the middle of the aisle, say, excuse me, I'm going down here. I'm seeking the face of God today. On the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. And if God has prompted you in any way, I want you to move right now. I'm going to stand right here. One, two, three. Stand. Just move now. I'm going to stand right here. David's over here. If you just want to shake your hand and say, hey, God spoke to my heart, turn and walk back. But don't just sit there and get the same things you've been getting. Do something different today. Why are you saying that?